following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. I saw a video on YouTube a few months back about a single mother named Mary Johnson. In February 1993, Mary's 20-year-old son was murdered by a 16-year-old boy. Mary's world was shattered. She was filled with grief. She was lost, and she was alone. But as a committed follower of Jesus, Mary was at odds with how she wanted to respond and how she felt God wanted her to respond. We'll return to Mary's story a little later, but I'd like to ask you, how would you respond if something similar happened to you? I know that all of us have come face to face with the difficulty of forgiveness. Maybe not quite like Mary Johnson, but certainly in a way that caused turmoil in our soul. Every C.S. Lewis says everyone <clears throat> says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. To forgive or not, that is the question. There are few themes in the Bible as significant as forgiveness. And that is what we'll be considering today as we look at this profoundly important parable that Jesus tells us in the last half of Matthew chapter 18. This up. There we go. Ah, more light. <clears throat> Mary wrote and asked, what's the title of your sermon? I actually wasn't going to give it one. Um, I almost said, well, what it's not titled is forgive and forget. Because that would just be silly. Because who even came up with that saying? Who comes up with lots of sayings? Like sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's not true. Or just do it. What do you have to lose? Well, lots of things you could lose. But back to forgive and forget. Um, I think a good analogy, a few years ago, uh, a basketball player um, and my my son-in-law's brother, we were playing basketball together, and he jumped up into me as I was going to shoot, and he hit his mouth in my head, and he split it open. He knocked me out. When I came to, he's wandering around the gym. Hey, Jayaz, how you doing? I'm good, coach. How are you? I'm fine. He goes, but I can't find my tooth. Well, it knocked his tooth out. When we got to the doctor, it was determined that his tooth was in my head, embedded in my bone. Now, if there's any wrong, which I don't think there is, if there's any wrong to forgive there, it's gone, right? I don't care. I will never forget that incident the rest of my life. I have a huge scar, and just just that thought that a guy's tooth was stuck in my head is a weird thing. So we say someone does something, and it's significant. Yes, we can forgive them, but we will never forget it. But we've forgiven it. So I'm not going to. So what I did title the sermon, I don't know if it was put up there or not. Is, and I like this, forgive or regret. That's appropriate. 
Uh, I don't think uh, anyone will have a problem with that after hearing today's message. <clears throat> All right, we're going to start uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how many times shall my brother sin against me and still and I still forgive him up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 77 times. <clears throat> For this reason, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his master commanded that he be sold along with his wife and children and all he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell down to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the master of that slave felt compassion and he released him and forgave him the debt but that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed a hundred denarii and he seized him and he began to choke him saying pay back what you owe so his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him saying have patience with me and i will repay you but he was unwilling and he went and threw him in prison until he would pay back what was owed So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their master all that had happened. Then summoning him, his master said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his master moved with anger, handed him over to the tortures until he would repay all that was owed him my And then Jesus finishes by saying, my heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Coming into this, so that what had the disciples just heard before they heard Jesus talk about this? Well, he had just talked about when a brother sins and what the process is when a brother sins. And you go to him in private. And then if he doesn't repent, you bring more. And then you present it to the church. So sin is on the minds of the disciples and those listening. And so Peter. Oh, Peter. (laughs) Such a good guy. Uh, and, And he says so many good things. But because he's always like the first one to talk, he also says a lot of things he ought not. Anyway, he says... He says, um, if you look in the verse, he says, Lord, how many times shall my brother sin against me and I still forgive him? Up to seven times? Now, why would he ask this? The teaching of the day among Jewish religious leaders, it was based loosely on a few verses in the Old Testament And it was three times. Three times was the appropriate amount of time to forgive. And that what was commonly preached by the Jewish religious leaders. Three times is appropriate. After that, I'm sorry. You're done. So imagine if there were any religious leaders who heard Peter ask that question. They probably would have rolled their eyes. Maybe harumphed. Isn't that a great word, harumph? They would have harumphed in disgust at such a liberal application. 
of forgiveness that Peter was suggesting. Forgive seven times? Preposterous! But it's probable that Peter, he was thinking in this question that he was being exceptionally kind and loving. And that Jesus would be especially proud of him at being so exceedingly altruistic. After all, to forgive twice as much as required? Now, that's awesome. But then to throw in an extra forgiveness, probably to match the number seven, which is so important, just to show how merciful you really are. (coughs) And then, as happened time and time again, Jesus speaks and everyone's worldview is challenged or turned upside down. I do not say to you seven times, but up to seven, 77 times. Now, I'm sure at that point, some of the disciples were immediately trying to figure out how they were going to keep track of that many offenses against them. Now, it's also interesting to point that different translations will give different numbers here. (coughs) There is 70, there is 77, and there is 7 times 7, 490. I read many commentaries on this, and almost every single person agrees. Whether it's 70, 77, 490, the concept is exactly the same. It is really what Jesus is saying is, you, you do not keep track. This is an infinite amount. Don't stop counting and just forgive. Jesus' answer is about the abundant forgiveness he makes available to us rather than a lesson in arithmetic. <clears throat> Surely these words from Jesus were on the mind of Paul when he wrote the beautiful words, Love does not keep an account of wrong suffered. Could the meaning be more clear? Love is not about keeping score. And forgiveness, which was one of the greatest manifestations of love, is then necessarily not about keeping score. We love, we forgive, serve, care, give and obey without keeping track. And certainly without keeping track of what others are doing or not doing. Why? Because we do all of this unto Jesus It's not done to impress others. It's done because we owe our Savior everything. Jesus is addressing this issue of forgiveness because it needs to be addressed just from Peter's question. And by the way, Peter was certainly one of the good guys. It does show great confusion and misunderstanding concerning the concept and expression of forgiveness. Before moving on, though, I just want to draw attention to the words from Jesus. I do not say to you. I do not say. Of course, we don't expect the world to heed the words of Jesus to care much at all about the things he does or doesn't say. But us, our prayers and our songs that we sung today and we sing all the time. They are filled with words that suggest we do care about what Jesus says. And I'm so thankful this is surely the heartfelt desire of most of us here today. The same as was true about Peter and most of the disciples. But while I believe we as his followers truly desire to follow what he says, it is so 
easy to add to what Jesus has said. To sneak in some of what we have to say. Mix it in with the truth of Jesus and then present it as God's truth. Paul says, do not conform any longer to the patterns of the world. Have you ever considered how hard this is? I would suggest that what we see from Peter here is exactly the same kind of thing we do regularly. We have been deceived and tricked by Satan and the world and our own selfish desires to think that our starting point is pure. When in reality it is saturated with things other than what Jesus has actually said and commanded. So I was deeply convicted during these last weeks preparing this sermon that I needed to regularly ask God to help me truly start where he wants me to start without adding to what he said. And I need to be willing to change those mindsets I have that are really not his, even if it makes me uncomfortable. It's worth noting that in Luke, when Jesus confronted the disciples about forgiveness, their response was, oh, Jesus, increase our faith. And that's what I'm asking for us today. Today, may our faith be increased. All right. On to the parable. Ask anyone who is familiar with this parable what it's about, and they will tell you it is about forgiveness. And they would be correct. (laughs) But within that, what new thing did Jesus want to teach them through telling it? For those who had ears to hear... And for those of us who have ears to hear, what did he want them and us to glean from this story about a king and a knucklehead? Maybe that should have been my title. (laughs) The king and the knucklehead. All right. So the the parable is about forgiveness. But what is forgiveness? How is it defined? It is actually harder to answer this question succinctly. It is more difficult than I thought. To forgive on a human scale can mean to pardon wrongs against us. It can mean to cease to feel resentment or anger or ill will for offenses committed against us. It is an intentional and voluntary gesture of kindness, of mercy, and or grace by the offended towards the offender often with the hope of healing and reconciliation. In this particular parable, Jesus chooses to compare and contrast two men who are owed something and who have the opportunity to forgive the debt. Also, an example of forgiveness. This parable is mainly about the one doing the forgiving. There are many other instances in the Bible... There are many other instances of the Bible where the focus is more on the one who needs to be forgiven. The prodigal son, the woman caught in adultery, Zacchaeus, that wee little man, the lame man lowered through the roof, many others. But the focus here is on the potential forgivers. Very important to understand The message to the forgiver. 
I read this story before. You got a king. There's not much context. He has servants. Decides to get together. He decides to to see who owes him what. And um, he finds a man owes him something. He finds that a slave owes him $3.5 billion. That is pretty much the equivalent of 10,000 talents back then. Have you ever borrowed money from someone before? Have you ever maybe taken someone else's money and invested it and it didn't go well? I'm willing to bet you didn't all of a sudden owe somebody $3.5 billion. Um, that is an incredible amount of money. And I, I just love how, the, how that is presented in a way that Jesus knows. This is, this is unsurmountable. This man can never pay this back. So he gets him and he says, dude, you're done. Your family's done. You're done. Your kids are done. Everything you own is gone. You'll be put in prison. That is a just and fair punishment. And the man throws himself on the ground. I am at your mercy. I can give you nothing. I am begging you to forgive me. And the king does. Now, the first thing that strikes me here is the truth that the king is able to forgive in a way that the slaves or the commoners could not forgive. Nobody could forgive this man that way except the king. He is the only one who could forgive such an incredibly large debt. And as we shift our attention from the king in this parable to God, which is what Jesus wants us to do, we understand that God also God offers an infinitely greater forgiveness than even the king in the parable offers. And that is a forgiveness which alters our eternity. You're probably familiar with the story in the Bible of the lame man who was lowered down through the roof by his friends. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, friend, your sins are forgiven. The teachers of the law and the proud religious law keepers thought to themselves, who is this man who speaks as if he is God? Who can forgive sins but God only? And they were right. This kind of forgiveness, the forgiveness from dark to light, from old to new, from death to life... This is a forgiveness that only God can give. The second thing that strikes me is that the slave absolutely didn't deserve this forgiveness. The debt he owed was overwhelming and the punishment the king first considered would have been just and right. This is exactly our story. We have done nothing to deserve God's forgiveness. It was while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. It has completely to do with God's grace and mercy. We have nothing to boast about. We can only bow down in gratefulness and humbleness at this undeserved gift of forgiveness and eternal life. Wouldn't it be awesome, though, 
if Jesus would have been able to stop the parable right now, right then. The man is forgiven a debt he can never repay. He's completely and genuinely and humbly grateful. And he goes home to his wife and family, a changed man. But Jesus couldn't stop there because the man didn't stop. And we don't stop. And people throughout history haven't stopped. The man did not go home, a changed man. How could a man who was forgiven so much immediately go out and hunt down a guy who owed him almost nothing comparatively? He owed him a few months wages. He hunted this guy down. He choked the man. He screamed and yelled at him and demanded he be paid immediately. And when that man begged for mercy for such a small, small thing, the man, instead of forgiving him, throws this other guy in prison. <clears throat> How does that make you feel? Every time I read this story, I have a sick feeling in my stomach. And I'm sure much of it is because I detest the actions of this forgiven man. But is it possible that I also have sick feelings because in some ways I relate to this man? What is it that keeps us from forgiving others? It is clearly a problem. Otherwise, we wouldn't be warned about it. I cannot speak for the motives of the man in this parable, but what about us? Why is it hard for us to forgive? Maybe because we've reached the limit. We've drawn a line. It's three. It's seven. Or some number that we make up that just feels like that's enough. That's enough. No more. Maybe it's just too difficult. It requires too much of us. Maybe we feel that the person does not deserve forgiveness. Maybe we feel it's not in our best interest. We're not going to get much out of this. Maybe I actually like to hold grudges, to hold something over someone else, to have them in my debt. Maybe we think we're better than somebody else. Regardless of the reasons we come up with for why we might not want to forgive someone, it is eternally important to realize that we need to forgive. I think the last two verses reveal to us why Jesus told the parable. Verse 34 and 35. And his master moved with anger, handed him over to the tortures until he would repay all that was owed him. And then Jesus says, my Heavenly Father will also do the same to you if you do not forgive his brother from your heart. Each of you who does not forgive his brother from your heart. <clears throat> this man's inability to forgive ruined the rest of his life. The forgiveness offered him would have set him free. But the forgiveness not offered by him resulted in chains and prison. There is no honor. There is no blessing. 
There is no benefit whatsoever in having a heart that does not forgive. Jesus could not be any clearer on that last point. We forgive or we will not be forgiven. There is no other option. Here are just a few of the many verses which state this exact thing. Matthew 6, 12 through 15. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Mark eleven twenty five. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. Luke six thirty seven. Forgive. And you will be forgiven. Okay. It's there in black and white. Forgive others or we will not be forgiven. These are the terms. And there is really no other biblical conclusion. I realized multiple times while preparing this sermon that much of this is difficult to hear. It's tough to hear this. It's tough for me to, to study it. But it's impossible to put a positive spin on the fact that God will not forgive us if we do not forgive others. Biblically, it's impossible. That's the only conclusion we can draw. And it's a massively important and fundamental biblical truth. We cannot get around it, even though people throughout the ages have tried and tried and they continue to try and try today. We must have a heart that is bent towards forgiveness, as this is clearly the teaching of the word of God. The examples of Jesus and a sign of humility and repentance in our own lives. Um, Oh, sorry, I, I mistyped that. I think I just made a, yeah, an error there. But what am I trying to say? I'll go on to the next thing. All right. But I didn't. I left out the most important reason why I think we don't forgive. All those other ones are valid, and I think that they play themselves out with all of us at different times. In the end, I believe the most significant reason we don't forgive is because we don't really understand what Jesus has done for us. And what we have been forgiven. No matter what the wrong. What the grievance. What the offense. If we say we cannot and will not forgive someone else. It always demonstrates that we don't fully understand. What Jesus has done for us. Every sin ever committed against us is a sin against God. And he continues to be faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And so there is one more fundamentally important truth I want all of us to leave here focusing on. And that is the fulfillment of God's plan of salvation through his son Jesus. It's only through the incarnation of Christ and his perfect life culminating in his death and resurrection that we have any hope of forgiveness and reconciliation with the Father. 
the last verse in the text today talks about offering forgiveness from our hearts. But our hearts are naturally sinful. Our hearts are naturally wicked. And no good thing comes from them. We are lost. We are utterly helpless and hopeless. But Jesus came. And he came to fulfill the will of the Father and to fulfill the prophecies of Scripture. He was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken. He was smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of it was on Jesus. And he took that to the cross. And he has freed us from an... He has freed us. And he took on him an unimaginable cost. He who knew no sin became sin. And we are now free to forgive. In loving Jesus, we are preparing to forgive whether we know it or not. The thing is, not so much to determine in our hearts to be better forgivers. It's to know and love our Savior better. To be so saturated with his mercy and grace that forgiveness just becomes the natural response. Yes, there's difficulty And struggle and pain in the process. But Jesus is worth our desire to have a forgiving heart. The forgiveness in so many ways is about who we are. It is about our innermost self. It demonstrates. It is the testimony of the work of Jesus in us. I wasn't going to tell this story. Because you've all heard it probably, but it's such a beautiful story. I just, I couldn't help myself. I, I had it at the end of my notes, my 50, 60, 70 pages of notes. It was at the very end, and it just stayed there and stayed there. I read it, and I reread it, and I said, I've got to tell this. So I'm going to end by telling these two stories. I'm going to tell a story, and then I'm going to finish with Mary Robinson. Mary Johnson. I don't know who Mary Robinson is, but I know Mary Johnson. (laughs) I'm sure there's a Mary Robinson out there who has a good story. (laughs) You've all heard the story about Corey Ten Boom. They lived in Holland. She's Dutch. They felt, and her father is one of my heroes on earth. And they decided at great risk to, they were Christians, and they decided to take 
fleeing and hiding Jews into their home. And eventually were caught. The whole family sent to prison camps, concentration camps, most of whom died at that concentration camp they were sent to, <coughs> including um, Corey's sister, Betsy, who died at Ravensbrook while Corey was with her. Corey miraculously was saved from this and decided after the war to go about and to talk about her experience. And much of it to talk about God's greatness, God's faithfulness, not goodness, God's forgiveness. Corey was put to the test, though, in 1947 while speaking in a Munich church, Munich, Germany. At the close of the service, a balding man in a gray overcoat stepped forward to greet her. Corey froze. She knew this man well. He'd been one of the most vicious guards at Ravensbrook. One who had mocked the women prisoners as they showered. It came back with a rush, she wrote. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights. The pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor. The shame of walking past these men. And now he was pushing his hand out to shake hers. And he was saying, a fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among thousands of women? But I remembered him. And the leather crop swinging from his belt, I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. <clears throat> you mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sin had again and again been forgiven, and I could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could, could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for asking for forgiveness? The soldier stood there expectantly, waiting for Corey to shake her hand. She wrestled with the most difficult thing that she had ever done in it, or had to do. And she says, for I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. Standing before the former SS man, Corey remembered that forgiveness is an act of will, not an emotion. Jesus, help me, she prayed. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. <clears throat> Corey thrust out her hand. And as she did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in her shoulder, raced down her arm, sprang into, sprang into the joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood her entire being, being, bringing tears to her eyes. I forgive you, brother, she cried with all my heart. 
For a long moment, they grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. She had never known God's love so intensely as she did then. But even so, she realized it was not her love. She tried and she did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know what I would do if I was faced with that same thing. But I want to, I want to submit myself and be so thoroughly infatuated with my Savior. That I would do it for Him. Maybe I can't do it for the person in front of me, but I can do it for my Savior. The one who loved me and died for me and gave Himself up for me. I can do that. I can lift my hand. I can speak the words. Then I can let Jesus work. Forgiveness, she said. Corey Tenboom said, forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hatred. It is a power that breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. I began this sermon by telling a story about Mary Johnson. And I want to end by letting you watch the rest of the story to see how Jesus can help forgive from our heart. From his heart. Thank you, Lord. In a small apartment building in North Minneapolis, a 59-year-old teacher's aide sings praise to God for no seemingly apparent reason. Indeed, if anyone was to have issues with the Lord, it would be Mary Johnson. For all you've done for me. He never had a chance. In February 1993, Mary's son, Loramian Bird, was shot to death during an argument at a party. He was 20, and Mary's only child. My son was gone. The killer was a 16-year-old kid named O'Shea Israel. I wanted justice. He was an animal. He deserved to be caged. And he was. Tried as an adult and sentenced to 25 and a half years, O'Shea served 17 before being recently released. He now lives back in the old neighborhood, close to Mary. This close. He lives next door. Next door. How a convicted murderer ended up living a door jam away from his victim's mother is a story not of horrible misfortune, as you might expect, but of remarkable mercy. A few years ago, Mary asked if she could meet O'Shea here at Minnesota Stillwater State Prison. As a devout Christian, she felt compelled to see if there was some way, if somehow, she could forgive her son's killer. What'd she say to you? I believe the first thing she said was, look, you don't know me, I don't know you, let's just start with right now. And I was befuddled myself. O'Shea says they met regularly after that. When he got out, she introduced him to her landlord, who, with Mary's blessing, invited O'Shea to move into the building. Today, they don't just live close, they are close. Clearly, Mary was able to forgive. Unforgiveness is like cancer. It will eat you from the inside out. It's not about that other person. Me forgiving him does not diminish what he's done. Yes, he murdered my son. But the forgiveness is for me. It's for me. For O'Shea, it hasn't been that easy. I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. I'm learning how to forgive myself. And I'm still going towards, you know, trying to forgive myself and what it is I've done. 
To that end, O'Shea is now busy proving himself to himself. He works at a recycling plant by day and goes to college by night. He says he's determined to pay back Mary's clemency by contributing to society. In fact, he's already working on it, singing the praises of God and forgiveness in prisons, churches, to large audiences everywhere. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. Which explains why Mary can sing her praise of thanks to her audience of one. Steve Hartman, CBS News, Minneapolis. For all you've done for me. Thank you, Jesus, for showing us how to forgive and for helping us to forgive. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we come to you with helplessness. Our hypocrisy is so great at times that we just ashamed to be known as your children. Time to time we dishonor your name because we are unable to forgive. Now we are living in a world that even people who have different opinions from us, we are unable to forgive. Lord, we are living in a world that if people don't agree with us, we can't forgive. At the same time, the word that has taught to us today, it just speaks so loudly again and again. It's not about us or how we feel. It's about the kingdom values. The kingdom assured by your son who gave his life for each and every one of us so that our debts and our shamefulness would be covered for eternity. Our cruelty and our hypocrisy will be removed from us. Lord, your son died for our sins and you forgave us like the king in the parable without conditions. But we just unable to do that many times, Lord. We want people to tell us how they are going to make amends and how they are going to be penitent. We need proof and we are unable to forgive. This morning I want to commit ourselves as a church to you. Lord, I want to cry out and say that I am ashamed of my attitudes to people around me when I find evil, when I find belief systems that's against me, when I, when I find political views that I, I, I abhor. Father, have mercy on me. Lord, as a church, we cry out to you today morning to forgive us. We are just broken people. 
Our righteousness is filthy rags. And yet your blood covers us. Father, we don't have a standing to demand forgive us. In your kingdom, if we are called as your people of God, following your footsteps and asking that we are your disciples and we are your light in this world, help us to be people of kingdom values. Transform us, Lord. Help us not to be conformed to the patterns of this world, which we over and over, Lord, we fall into that. The cultures, the worldviews that we grew up with, the things that we think that is right and wrong. Lord, it is a mess. Ask for your forgiveness. Lord, we ask forgiveness so that we may leave. Lord, we ask forgiveness so that we may be free. Lord, we ask forgiveness so that we may be light of the Lord in this world. Father, we ask forgiveness to the leaders of our church. We ask forgiveness to the leaders of our nations. Lord, I pray that they will acknowledge the sovereign God on the throne and tremble before Him. Lord, help us to put our rights down. Help us to know our rights come from who we are in you as children of God. Help us to forgive. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.